It's Wednesday, October 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Emily Flippin. Good to see you. Hey, good to be here, Chris. It's been a while. It has been a while. Um, we've got enterprise software, we've got video software, but we are going to start today with the biggest of the big banks. Third quarter profits for JP Morgan Chase were well above expectations. Revenue was higher too. Shares of JP Morgan down a little bit, but I don't know, it can't be because of the results, right? This seems like a pretty strong quarter. It's a pretty strong quarter for JP Morgan, although I will caveat that because the good quarter was supported by largely better than expected loan losses. That contributed around $1.5 billion to their bottom line. When you combine that with a tax credit, they actually didn't beat earnings as strongly as the market may suggest. So the earnings of $3.74 were greater than the $3 expected, but taking out these what should be considered one time credits, it was actually closer to meeting expectations, which maybe explains some of the stock uh, movement today. However, even accounting for that, this was a solid quarter for JP Morgan because uh, at this point, I think Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan have become uh, almost bellwethers for how the economy is doing as a whole. So, seeing a lot of the bullish sentiment come out of this quarter for what they expect in terms of loan losses was actually pretty great. Yeah, I mentioned on yesterday's show when we were talking about Fastenal that um, Brian Hinman a couple of years ago told me Fastenal is is one of the top conference calls he always likes to listen to. JP Morgan Chase is another one that he mentioned when we had that conversation. He said that, you know, the big banks don't necessarily interest him a whole lot as an investor, but he always listens to the JPM call because they're the biggest bank. They, more so than any other bank, they've really got their fingers on the pulse of so much of what makes the U.S. economy go. And as you indicated, Jamie Dimon. I mean, he's <laughs> most rooms that Jamie Dimon is in, he's the smartest person in the room. And he has no shortage of opinions. So it's always interesting to see what he's going to say when he comes out on these earnings calls. But from an economic standpoint, I mean, JP Morgan is the best capitalized bank in the United States, has one of the highest tier one capital ratios of the entire industry, which is all to say that when you look at what they expect in terms of how the American consumer is going to behave, it reflects less about what their credit profile looks like and more about what the world looks like today. And for that reason, it's sensible to kind of listen in and see, okay, all of these smart analysts that JP Morgan is encouraging and paying, what are they thinking about this loan credit profile? profile, because that itself is going to be really interesting to compare against the economy expectations as a whole. Shares of SAP are up 4% today. The German software company posted third quarter results that came with increased guidance, making it, I believe, the third time SAP has bumped up their fiscal year guidance. Um, in terms of the results themselves, it seems like if you're a shareholder, this the business is moving in the direction that you would want, which is to say more customers are moving to the cloud. And it's a slow transition, right? When we talk about the cloud transition for SAP, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I, I've been hearing about this for years, so why am I just now seeing it show up in their results? And I think there's an argument to be made that, you know, 
enterprise resource planning. It's a crowded space. Um, SAP is pretty far behind in terms of the cloud transition. But the backlog that they posted this quarter, or I should say pre-announced for this quarter, was incredible. Um, it's showing that they're really getting traction and shifting those legacy customers into their cloud-based application. So their backlog was over 8 billion euros. That was up nearly 25% year over year. And it's really being led by their cloud version of their enterprise resource enterprise resource resource planning software. Uh, the backlog for that system, which they call HANA, that was up 48% last quarter. Uh, all to say, things are definitely pointing in the right direction, but I'll mention it again. Despite the clear acceleration, this is a business that has, in the past, only moved pretty slowly. They're one of the largest software companies uh, in the world today, and they're operating in a pretty crowded space. And more of that pie is being eaten up by competitors, whether they be large businesses like Microsoft or smaller ones like Workday or Salesforce. So competition, certainly something to keep your eye on. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things for as big as they are, um, it seems like just from a, a brand equity standpoint, SAP is well-respected. This is not a stock that has really rewarded shareholders in a meaningful way over the past five years. I mean, it is solidly trailing the market. It's not an exciting business, I will say that. But even though they're not exciting, even though they don't grow at the rate of a lot of their competitors, which is probably why you're seeing that reaction from the market, they're still pretty financially sound. They trade at less than 30 times earnings right now, which sounds pretty lofty. And I will admit, you know, for a slow grower, it is still pretty heightened, but they also pay out a pretty steady dividend. So this is a type of business that if I owned, I would feel comfortable holding. But if I was investing for growth and I'm looking at the software industry, there are probably other companies out there that are going to grow longer and faster than SAP. Just a quick programming note. It's a short week for us on Market Fillery. We're off again on Thursday. So, please check out, if you're not already listening to Industry Focus, Motley Full Answers, Rule Breaker Investing with David Gardner, check those out. And thank you already to the uh, listeners who have sent in emails with suggestions for our upcoming Apropos of Nothing episode. Keep them coming, please. MarketFullery at Fool.com. The stock of the day is Vimeo. The video software company said revenue in September was up 33% from a year ago. Subscribers are up. Shares of Vimeo up more than 12%. And that's great. But Vimeo went public in May. And the stock was close to $60 a share then. And even with the pop today, Emily, it's at 30 So it, I mean, I'm not rooting against Vimeo, but they're going to need a few more months like September to keep this thing going. No kidding. If you're a shareholder in Vimeo, today is a very little reconciliation for the pain that you felt over the course of the year. And while they have yet to report earnings, this is their monthly metrics that they continue to publish month over month um, that is providing this pop today. And as you mentioned, revenue up 33% in the month is pretty impressive. And I will say, if you compare it to the numbers that they were posting in 2020, which is their comparable quarter, it may look less impressive. In fact, revenue, subscribers, and average revenue per user have all slowly trended down over that period, but they're still higher than where they were pre-pandemic. And Vimeo hasn't issued guidance here, so there is very little in the way of expectations heading into this quarter. Also worth noting that this is the third quarter, which is typically a bit softer than the fourth quarter, when you see a lot of pull forward in terms of spending from corporations on things like video software. Ultimately, it's an interesting business. I, I struggle with the niche that Vimeo is carving out. Um, 
these numbers themselves don't get me super excited. So I'd, seeing the pop today, I, I kind of think to myself, maybe this was an oversold business headed into this report, but doesn't quite make me bullish on the long-term impact of Vimeo, especially when you think about the competition in the video software and collaboration space. The market cap of Vimeo is about $4.5 billion. Uh, if you assume that someone is looking at them and thinking, they do good work, we can do more for them if they are part of our larger business, then maybe they get bought out for five or six billion. That's still a whole lot more than Google paid for YouTube back in 2006. And at the time, that was seen as paying a lot for YouTube. Um, all of which to say, do, do you think Vimeo is a standalone company in three years? I mean, they, they, it seems like a good product. The, the stuff I've read about them points in that direction. I, it, it also seems like for as good a product as they have, it seems like $6 billion would still be overpaying. I tend to think the same as you, Chris, which is that this is probably going to be a business that if it is acquired, is acquired at not the hefty premium that investors may be accustomed to. And the reason is, is because Vimeo, as so many investors are aware, um, tried to upsurp YouTube, right? They tried to change the landscape of the video streaming game and um, failed time and time again. So when Vimeo went public, which is a spinoff from IAC earlier this year, um, it was interesting to see how they've pivoted their business model, which is going to corporations and essentially providing a subscription-based tool for collaboration and video storage. And while that's appealing to many businesses, in fact, 60% of the Fortune 500 had at least one paying seat with Vimeo uh, when the company went public, it's still really Really hard to highly monetize. Only 1% of their total subscriber base was paying more than $10,000 a year on the platform. There Oof. was a need for this, but it was just not the need that you see where this business has a ton of pricing power. So the idea of snapping it up for six, seven, eight billion dollars, I think sounds um, pretty challenging unless we see an uptick in their monetization potential. And with ARPU, average revenue per user, actually declining over time, or the growth of which declining over time, that makes me a bit worried. Yeah, and I get the enthusiasm when they went public. I mean, just if you go at the uh, historical track record of IAC spinning out businesses, you know, on balance, those tend to do well. Um, but as you indicated, in addition to going public, uh, which is tougher than being part of a larger um, entity, um, they were also shifting their business model. Again, I'm not rooting against them, but it's just, it's just one of those that I look at and, and go, I don't know, there's not enough goodness there to, to put this stock on my watch list, um, even though it's trading at basically half of what it did a few months ago. Um, last thing, and then I'll let you go. Where does um, this idea of this is a business that might get bought by someone else. Where does does that ever fall into like your top five list when you're putting together your pros and cons of of a, a business that you're thinking about buying shares of? Or is that just like if it ends up in your top five, then it's actually a, a, an indicator that you need to walk away? 
Not typically. Um, I, I I don't tend to think about acquisition as a very real investment thesis because um, in reality, I think most acquisitions we see end up being something that uh, the end result is kind of a bloated business, right? The companies typically end up better alone than they did as part of a larger organization. Now, that's not always true. But when I think about the types of companies that I want to invest in, my mindset is, oh, I don't want somebody to come in and, and snap up this business. I want that business to operate independently for as long as possible. I think about um, Red Hat, for instance, when they got acquired by IBM. And the I say anger is the wrong word, but I guess disappointment that people felt when that acquisition went through because Red Hat was such an amazing business with a really unique team, um, cultural aspects that were unrivaled in the industry. I want to feel that way right, about a business before I buy in. So that, to me, ends up being a thesis that's much larger than just thinking, oh, well, maybe IBM will swoop in one day and buy these these companies. Yeah, when PayPal bought Zoom, not Zoom Video, but XOOM, Zoom, uh, the remittance company, um, I think anger is the appropriate word to describe uh, Jason Moser's reaction when that <laughs> happened. And I think he's still angry about it today, or at, a, at, a, at the very least, bitter. So yeah, that's, that's probably a better mindset. Like, you want to go in thinking, oh, I, I so believe in the future of this company that I really hope nobody else snaps them up. Yeah, and to clarify, it's because you think the company is going to do so much better over the long term. So while that 15, 20% premium that you're getting on that single day when the acquisition announced seems like a great deal, uh, oftentimes the investment thesis is, is so long term that you're giving up what could be hundreds of percentage points in gain for a very short term bump. And so, yeah, I, I don't like seeing those little premiums. I think if you're an investor in Vimeo, you're buying into the idea that they have a platform that can be expanded into things like live events, right? Creating a powered by Vimeo platform. That's going to be bigger, right? If they're able to execute on that idea, then again, six to $8 billion in acquisition cash. Emily Flippin, always great talking to you. Thanks yeah, so much thanks for, being for having here. me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.